The passage we are looking at comes from the book of John, chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 18 this morning. We are looking at the book of John for the next six weeks or so. Uh, It's going to be this week and next week, and then we're going to take a brief break and then come back. Uh, the, The reason behind starting so early with our Christmas series is because, if you remember from last week, our Christmas service is going to be on the uh, 13th of December. So it's not going to be on the 25th per se. So because a lot of us go away for the Christmas holiday. So let's look together at John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which is five roofed uh, colonnades. In these lay multitudes of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, I'm going another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And once again, the man was, and at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, the man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said, who said to you, take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. After Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I... I'm working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. 
Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. November, the end of November is close. Uh, what has become a typical practice in South Africa is, the, is uh, Black Friday. And I must say that even though I appreciate the deals and the discounts and so on, it has become something that is, uh, is quite difficult to participate in. The pushing and shoving each man or woman for themselves, the multiple trolleys that people um, put things on, the grabbing, the running towards the best, the best deals, the excessive spending, that despite the economic impact, a lot of people will go into debt to buy things that they do not need. A lot of people will choose, to, uh, to, will choose their own needs above the needs of others. A lot of people will think that if I just get that air fryer, my life will be better. At this season, the, uh, the, the, the arrow of our hearts will be pointing inwards and not outwards. The concerns as indicated by the Black Friday holiday will be inward and not outward. Is this what we have become as people? It's a taster, isn't it? Of what we think about Christmas. Christmas itself uh, meant to, is meant to remind us of the coming Jesus who came into the world and uh, when he was born he slept in a manger, had nothing. He was chased around and lived like a refugee. But what did we do to celebrate him? We stuff our faces with the best of foods. We eat until we cannot eat anymore. We watch television. We share gifts with one another. Things that are not necessarily needed, but things that are regarded as special, just for fun. We have lost the meaning of the season. It's saying less and less about Christ but more and more about us and about our own needs. And I think Black Friday is the beginning of that. It's the beginning of the shopping season, the, the access, the gluttony, the living for our wants, the, uh, the lack of compassion towards those who are uh, needy but the feeding of our own desires. As we get into this Christmas series this morning, looking at who Jesus and why has he come into the world, I want us to be, uh, to be changed 
and to start to see things differently. My prayer is that as we go through these texts in John, at verses uh, at chapter 5 all the way to chapter 7, is that afterwards we will th- look at the season differently and that you would bring Christ and have him to be the center of the holiday and not what we eat and what we have. That's compassion and love and unity with God would be the center again and not the best holiday. Let's look at John chapter 5 together. In John chapter 5, we begin by seeing, especially in verses 1 to 9, is that the one who has come into the world is compassionate. The whole book of John is about Christ who has come into the world, the one who has always existed. Right at the beginning of the book of John, we see that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then later on, we see that the one who has come has been rejected by the world. The world does not want him. They do not want to worship him as God. Even though the world was made through him, John tells us in 1 verse 10, the world did not recognize him. The world did not acknowledge who he was. Even though he created everything, the world did not see him for who he was. But Jesus continued to reveal himself to, uh, first to his disciples and also to, uh, to the world as a whole. To people who are, first, who are more than just those who are in the inner circles. So right at the beginning, we see John the Baptist who comes and he proclaims that the one who is coming is far better than me. I have come to prepare a way for him. And Jesus starts to call his disciples, those who would go out into the world and spread the message about his identity. And they were following him. But we see something amazing, which is, uh, is what, we are, what is repeated again in chapter 5, and that is in chapter 2. Jesus is invited to a wedding. He turns water into wine. And the point of that, we are told right at the end of the miracle, in verses 11, is that this, this, this miracle that Jesus performed in Cana, verses 11 of chapter, four, of chapter 2, this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory. And his disciples put their faith in him. That is what Jesus wants throughout the book of John. The whole book is written that you may put your faith in Jesus. The whole book is, is written so that you may see who Jesus is. 
And in seeing him, you may put your faith in him. That is why we are continuing with the book of John as, as we look at, uh, as we think about Christmas. Because the whole book is about that. That by seeing Jesus rightly, that you may put your faith in him. Now as we get to chapter 5, we are shown a, a certain aspects of who Jesus the point of that is that we may put our faith in him. We see in the end of the chapter, in verses 14 to 18, is that they see who Jesus is, the Jewish people, and they want to kill him. But that is not why Jesus has come into the world. He has come to reveal himself in order that we may trust in him. So we may respond to him with hard hearts, as the Jews did, or we may respond to him with a loving embrace, a joyful worship of him, as his disciples and this man here did, who has been healed by God. Let's look then in verses 1 to 9, that the one who has come into the world is compassionate. Verse 1, we see that Jesus is going to, uh, to Jerusalem. He went up to Jerusalem because the reason why the Bible says up is because of uh, geographically, Jerusalem is sort of up in the mountain. Typography, uh, using typography, the place is actually up. Jesus goes up here uh, to Jerusalem for one of the feasts of the Jews. John doesn't tell us specifically which feast it is. Uh, the Jewish people have uh, around seven feasts throughout the year. But what we do know is that the Jews would go up to Jerusalem, especially for the feast of the Passover. A reminder of, of God's rescue of his people from Egypt. They would feast on this. They would have unleavened bread. And they, would and they would remind one another of what Christ, of, of what God did. So it's possible, but it's not definite that Jesus had gone up for this festival. And as he approaches Jerusalem, he passes by a gate. It's called the gate of uh, the, the, the sheep gate or Bethesda in Aramaic. And next to this gate are these poles that through time, these poles have become, uh, the, the, the Jewish people have started to believe that if I go into these poles, I will be healed. Because these poles are close to the temple, they're actually part of the, um, uh, of the temple. They have started to believe that these poles, when they are being stirred by the Levites who, who uh, who serve in the temple. If I go in while the, while, the, while the water that has been stirred by the Levite is still swirling around, miraculously God would heal my disease. It would help me if I'm blind, if I wasn't able to talk miraculously through this water from the temple, I would be able to talk this is a desperate attempt 
by people. For help, a desperate attempt for God to intervene in their lives. But what has happened in this context? What has happened is that a lot of people have started to gather around these pools. A lot of people who need help have sort of started to gather and they stay on the borders of the pool. And when the Levite goes and stirs the pool, they would all go in, hoping to sort of catch the blessing. A bit similar like we do with, uh, whether it's game or shop right or whatever, before the opening of the gate for Black Friday, all standing there, shoulder to shoulder, about to push in to get the deal, as it were. You know, it become like that in the temple. There was this man who is not named here. He is there. He wants to get in. But when the pool is stirred, there is such a stampede that he cannot get in. Jesus sees him. Verse 6, he sees that Jesus sees that he, this man, had been sitting there for a long time. Perhaps his skin is darkened from the sun. Perhaps he can see the sorry state that this man is in and he has compassion on him. And he says to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, sir, I do want to heal. Sir, I, have, I do want to be healed, but when the water in the pool is being stirred up, there's no one there to help me to get down in the steps. The man is thinking to himself, yes, I do want to be healed. That is why I'm here. But when the water is stirred up, no one helps me from my mat. No one grabs my hand. Everyone is looking out for their own interests. But what this man does not realize is that the one before him is a compassionate God himself who is able to heal him without the pool, who is able to exercise his authority without these aids that these people have started to rely on. So what does Jesus do, or rather say? By the word of his mouth, he says to him, six words, verse 8, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And miraculously, this man is healed. He gets up, he takes up his bed, and he walks without going into the pool. But what we see next is instead of rejoicing with this man who has been disabled, instead of, uh, uh, of praising God for the miracle that has happened, which probably did not happen very often here, is that the Jewish people turned to him and say, how can you do this on the Sabbath? 
Here's a man here who has been uh, crippled. He has been uh, disabled for uh, 38 years. We are told in the text in verses 5. But at the end of, uh, of, uh, of, of verse 9 there, we are told that this happened, this act of healing happened on the Sabbath. So when the Jews saw him carrying his mat, they asked him, it, they said to him, it is a Sabbath, verses 10. Why are you carrying your mat? And he turns to me and says, the man who healed me said, take up your mat and walk. There's something uh, very off about this. About the question that has been asked of this man. Is that their concern is that he is breaking the law. They don't don't seem to be concerned about the fact that he, he had been crippled. He had been disabled for 38 years. This is like seeing a person who is um, walking on the road somewhere after being miraculously uh, healed, holding their wheelchair. And then you turn to him and say, why are you pushing around a wheelchair on the road? Don't you know that it's illegal to do this, to push it here on the road? Go to the pavement. It's not about the legality of, of, of him pushing the wheelchair on the road. It's not about him carrying his mat. But it is about the fact that he has been healed. That God has, has uh, God through Christ has had compassion on him and he has liberated him from the, uh, fr- fr- from the mat or from the bed it is called here, that he used to be perhaps carried around in and put on the floor so he can sit. But now this man who used to sit on this, now miraculously by the grace of God, has the ability to carry it. And the Jewish people, the religious, they're concerned that He's carrying this on the Sabbath. That he is breaking the law. No compassion. No uh, joining him in rejoicing at what God has done. But rather, they are chastising him for breaking Sabbath laws. And this man says, the, uh, the man who heals me said, take up your mat and walk. And that's what, that is what I did. This is 11. They ask, they, they ask him, who is this person who asked you to break the law? But this man who has been healed did not know. Because it seems that Jesus did not stick around to introduce himself. He did not hear from other people who Jesus was. That he is this miraculous healer who had done another miracle somewhere at a wedding? No. Jesus has simply slipped into the crowd. He had no idea who he was. 
And afterwards, in verses 14, Jesus meets the man in the temple. And he shows there that he is concerned for the man, not only to heal him, but to heal him from a worse disease. Not only to enable him to walk, but to enable him to have a relationship with God. Not only to be able to pick up his mat, but he invites him into a relationship where he's going to have to pick up his cross and follow him. Verses 14 to 18. After Jesus found him in the temple, he said to him, See, now you are well. This is the second time that they are, that they are seeing each other. And Jesus is looking at him, perhaps he's still carrying the mat. He says, Look, you are now better. And he goes on and he says, Sin no more. Therefore, live a holy life. Live a life of reverence to God. That nothing worse may happen to you. Let's understand this text correctly here. He's not saying that you were an invalid because you had sinned. But he's saying that now that you have been healed, go, go and live a holy life. Go and live a life that is dedicated to a was being righteous before God so that nothing worse may happen to you. This is to say that there are worse things than, than disabilities. There are worse things than unemployment and poverty. And in order to escape those things which are worse, live a certain way. Even though Jesus has healed this man and has probably uh, saved uh, a lot of hardship in his life, in the eyes of Jesus, there are worse things than the, than the hardship that this man has experienced. In the eyes of Jesus, there are things that are worse than uh, disability. And as we'll learn later on, that those things are an, are an eternal separation from God. In John, those things are not having life. Those things are, according to chapter uh, 1, verses 11, are being condemned already. So you don't want condemnation. So he says to, this, to the man, go and live differently. The Jews see this and they are angry at what Jesus is doing. And they are angry at the fact that he, he is one healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus responds to them, and saying, ah, my father is working on the Sabbath, he's keeping the world together. It's not like uh, 
God, God, God decides that he's not going to do anything on the Sabbath. He rested from the creation of the world. He rested from creation. But it does not mean that God is inactive on the Sabbath day. And that his mercies are not being displayed just because it's on the Sabbath. Jesus says, my father is working, so therefore I am also working. And then you start to see the concern of the Jews here. It's not that they're not angry at Jesus simply because he's healing on the Sabbath. They are angry that he is revealing himself to be equal with God. Verses 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. Israelites understood themselves as, uh, as children of God, yes. But Jesus had gone further than that. He was saying, yes, God is my father. My father is working on this day. But I am also working. So, so therefore, the Sabbath is the day where my father and I can break the law and work. In the, the book of Mark, in chapter 3, this is put slightly different. That uh, the Son of Man is, <coughs> is Lord even over the Sabbath. That he is above the Sabbath law, as it were. He is not bound by it, but he is Lord even over the Sabbath. So Jesus here is saying, just as God is Father working and sustaining the world, even on the Sabbath, so am I. I am restoring, I am showing compassion to this man who has struggled all of his life. I am forgiving sin, which is the exact reason why I have come into the world. The Jews did not get this. They did not get it. They did not get why there was a Sabbath in the first place. This man who had struggled all his life now has been given rest from his toil. But the Jews don't get it. My prayer for you and I is that as we contemplate Christ, as we think about Jesus and why he has come into the world, that we will not look at, his, uh, we will not look at the Bible and not get it. That we will not look at what Christ has done at the cross for us and still have uh, and still understand Christmas to be just another holiday. That as we look at his word and look at the sacrifice that God has made, 
that we would understand that our, that our hearts would not be hard towards him. But as we look at what Christ did, as we look at the Christ who brings life, as we will see next week, as we look at testimonies about Christ, as we look at Jesus who feeds the 5,000 in chapter 6 of John, that you would not, would not see that as a, as a license to indulge, as it were, ourselves, but we would see Jesus. And in seeing him, like the disciples in chapter 2, verses 11, that we would put our faith in him. We have a negative example of that in chapter 5, verses 1 to 18, in the Jews. They see what Jesus is doing, and they're moving further and further away from him. So therefore, as we begin this, uh, this sermon series on who Jesus is and why has he come, my prayer is that you and I would see him from his word and that we would put our faith in him. That as we understand him uh, better, that we would not do Christmas as the world does. Let us uh, pray together and ask God for help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us to ourselves and to our own devices, but you have left us your word to guide us in our relationships with you. I pray that you would be with us now as we begin this, um, this time. God, we are thinking about the coming of our Lord Jesus into the world. That you would truly grasp the meaning of Christmas. Lord, we thank you for this season. There are times when we are usually so obsessed with our own problems that it's hard to sit and contemplate you and what you have done. I pray, Lord, that this opportunity will not be lost to us that we would use it to speak the truth of Christ to those around us. I pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.